Welcome to Tech Talks with Jack Pierce and Josie Rollings. You are listening to Tech Talks podcast published on Mondays and Thursdays for the love of tech. On today's show, we are talking to Kelly Waters from 101 Ways. Uh, Kelly's been on the show before, a great friend of the show, um, and he talks about moving to Amsterdam, all things fun coming up in 2019, as well as the importance of events. Josie, no Dave, it's you and me running the show. I'm back again. Yeah, back at it. I mean, it kind of feels as though dad's away and we're allowed to sort of, you know, take the reins whichever way we want to steer it. Have a little bit of fun while Dave's on holiday. Exactly, have a lot of fun while Dave's on holiday. Now, before we dive into the interview, obviously everyone would have heard about the recent uh, O2 data internet fiasco. Can you just tell us your story from yesterday? Because it's quite funny, actually. <laughs> um, so we were all sitting at the desk and I was getting texts through, about six of the same texts through, and there was about 12 of them. So my phone was going off continuously for about 10 minutes. <laughs> just because of the, the, the lack of mobile data on O2 yesterday, you were getting 101 texts sent through to you, which was rather bizarre. Anyway, we are recording on Friday. Uh, you'll be listening to this on Monday. Friday is very grim. Um, I'm hoping the weekend's a lot nicer. Much planned for the weekend? No, chilled weekend this weekend. Uh, just a bit of relaxing before Christmas. Sweet. We've got our Christmas party next week, haven't we? So. Got to look fresh. Yeah, it makes... I mean, I, I better shave and also get a haircut this weekend. Um, why isn't there AI robots doing haircuts? That would be a good business model. I would not trust an AI robot to come. But they can map like your entire scalp, get the exact measurements on your hair. I mean, you might have to put something over your ears so they don't chop your ear off, but... Or like cut your throat or anything along those lines. Oh, you've gone Sweeney Todd almost immediately <laughs> with it. Okay, fair enough. AI hey, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, yeah, that's, that could be the name of the, uh, of the shop. So coming up now is uh, Kelly. Like I said at the top of the show, Kelly's a great friend of the show. I've seen him on many panels actually as well over the last year. Speaks very, very wisely and fondly about diversity as well as tech. Um, and his sort of consultancy business 101 ways. I working with some truly amazing clients. So over to Dave and Kelly and we'll speak to you soon. So today we are joined again by Kelly Waters because you have been on this show previously when it was much younger and your business was much younger. Yeah. How are you? I'm good. Looking forward to the Christmas run-in or is it something um, that you don't really relish? We're pretty busy but I'm looking forward to the break. Yeah? Yeah. What do you do out of interest with the business kind of over the Christmas period? Are you kind of of the mindset yeah, that... Pretty much closes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let people get home to families. And... Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Now, how old is 101 Ways as a business now? Well, I started five years ago. Yeah. For the first three years, it was just me. Yeah. And working as an interim director. And the last um, two, two and a half years, it's been uh, formed as a consultancy with more than just me. So really, I think of it as two and a half years. And in the last two and a half years, you've gone from just you, more or less, to how many people today? 125. Which is pretty... That must be interesting kind of growth... For you, not just as a, oh, this isn't just an interim gig that I'm doing, but everything that comes associated with managing teams and payroll and everything else and making decisions around whether or not you're going to close down over Christmas or kind of keep something open. Oh, that's an easy decision. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually, it's been a massive learning curve for me. Yeah. It's my first role as as a CEO or MD and, you know, learning about all the different functions we need 
to be effective as a business is is quite a you know step out of my mm. usual comfort zone. So, uh, so it's been really exciting. Out of interest, how many direct reports do you have? Um, four, maybe. Yeah. And I'm, I had to think about it. So that we're still small enough that we have a very dynamic kind of fluid relationship between uh, me and, and Zaina, my yeah. business partner, and our management team. So we don't really have a very hierarchical uh, structure. So we, there's about 10 to 12 of us that uh, manage most of the business and, and we're all interacting kind of freely between each other. So technically I have perhaps four direct reports, but um, in fact, I'm pretty close with, with most of the dozen in the management team. But for three years, you were, you were trading um, using the brand 101 ways basically as yourself. And then you're now in this position where actually a lot of the people who represent that brand don't, you will know um, them obviously, yeah. but they don't necessarily have daily interaction with you. Was that challenging in a way? Oh, they did have daily interaction. So that's, I think, what's good about it. So there's a, there's a dozen people who um, do have daily yep. interaction and, and therefore we, we grew up as a very close uh, management team to really kind of spread the values and ethos of the, the brand and the kind of company mm -hmm. you wanted to create. Um, but you're right, they are, there's 110 people who aren't very close, don't have daily interaction, but they, but they do have interaction with someone in the management team. Mm -hmm. So um, to this day, someone in the management team is responsible for all of the people at a particular client. And so, um, so they do get some connection um, directly into the management team and, mm -hmm. and to kind of try and make sure that the values and ethos that we like is, is what's playing out with the client. So one of the things that's happened recently to the business is you've expanded out from just being uh, kind of London-based in terms of your staff, and now you have a, an office in Amsterdam. Yeah. How many people have you got over there? 15 in Amsterdam at the moment. How, why Amsterdam? Oh, look, and this might seem really naive, but when I talk to people about other cities around Europe, Amsterdam yeah. to me still is kind of a, let's go there for a long weekend and a bit of a party rather than yeah. necessarily a tech hub. I think it's good for that too. Uh, whenever people ask me, I always say, have you been? Um, to which I said no. <laughs> um, if you haven't been, then uh, if then you should go. And I think as soon as you go, most people um, fall in love with Amsterdam. I think it's a, a great city. From a business point of view, if you look at uh, lots of different data about um, European or, or global cities, but particularly in EU, if you look at data about investment in technology, mm -hmm. number of techies, tech meetups, tech jobs, these kinds of metrics, um, Amsterdam routinely comes up in the top five. Mm -hmm. It's usually London, Berlin, Paris, Amsterdam, Stockholm. And there are different lists, you know, cut the data different ways or take the data at different times and, and the cities move around a bit. But Amsterdam is pretty high up there in terms of the, uh, being a good tech city with a very vibrant tech scene. So um, unlike some of the other cities, it's, um, they're very, very good um, with English speaking. Some, mm -hmm. some cities are better than others at that, but in Amsterdam, everyone seems to routinely speak three, four languages as well. Mm. Um, but also I worked in Amsterdam and we have, uh, for some months, and we have a, a couple of clients uh, doing work in Amsterdam. So for us, it felt like a, a relatively small city where we had reasonably good reach, where they're fairly um, good with English language because at the moment all the people in our management team are English speaking. Mm. Uh, and, then, and, and so it had a lot of um, familiarity, let's say, for us, a, a city that we felt very comfortable uh, as our second city. But picking up on that point there that you made that, that, that there were a couple of clients out there, yeah. I know that when we've spoken in the past, you've often said that you won't, you won't take on business just because business is offered, it's got to kind of fit with the values of your business, etc. Yeah. Um, would you have gone to Amsterdam 
regardless if you hadn't had clients there? Or do you think it was kind of influenced by the fact that there were some customers out there? Actually, uh, we were going home to them anyway. Right. And the fact that our client was interested in doing work there came about afterwards. Right. So, um, so working with um, a client out there who actually went to Amsterdam at the same time as us, and we very much felt like a partnership where we're going together um, to build a new development centre there. So, um, so it wasn't really like we've got some clients, so we'll follow them. It was more like, uh, more like the other way around. We because I imagine that's the, that's they were keen to go too. Yeah. So we actually went together. Because I imagine that would be the temptation as a small, as, as, a, as, a, as a maybe not a small business, but a growing business yeah. would be. Well, we've got, we're in this market. We have a footprint. Let's expand that. Uh, certainly, that would make sense. Yeah. If they're the right kind of clients, for sure. Um, in this case, they definitely are, and, and so it was ideal. Um, we're also looking at, at Germany for next year where we don't right. have clients. So um, we, we will expand into cities where we don't have clients, um, but naturally the ones where we do are going to be a little bit easier. Berlin or something, or Frankfurt or something less? Um, we're looking at multiple cities in Germany. Right. Uh, I haven't decided which ones. It's still uh, in the research stage at the moment, but yeah, Berlin seems fairly likely, of course, but yeah. I think we're looking at more like two or three cities there. Okay. Uh, look, one thing that you mentioned was that there's a really good tech meetup scene. Yeah. One thing that's very noticeable following you on LinkedIn is that you've made a push personally, your brand, you're a lot more active on LinkedIn than you were, say, two years ago or 18 yeah. months ago. Um, but equally, you've got the, the WTF club, the Women in Tech Focus club. You've got the CTO club, the tech club. Um, obviously, the business appears to be very community driven. Yeah. However... There's lots of com competing groups now for people to attend. You could, you yeah. could spend your entire weeks, uh, month after month, attending meetups in London if you so wanted. So why was that decision made for the business? But equally, how do you make your events different to try and help build that brand and it be successful? Yeah, I think um, there are lots of competing events. So we certainly wouldn't do that for business reasons. Yeah. Um, we, we originally... Uh, when we first started talking about building events, we didn't want them to just be events. We wanted them to be like clubs. Right. So we refer to them as clubs because we're trying to create a situation where people who um, come to an event actually feel a bit more connected than that, that they join a club, that they interact with their peers, that they have a support network, um, and that it flourishes into something where there's a closer connection between people in that club rather mm. than um, coming to an event as an anonymous person and never coming again, maybe, or yeah, never yeah. coming again one day in the future. So um, we're definitely not there yet with that, but our plan is to turn these into, into much more like close-knitted um, clubs rather than purely events. So that would, I'd say, be a point of difference compared to a lot of events where you go, you network, and maybe you never see those people again. Mm. Um, in terms of our clubs, we're trying to make sure that we're covering um, product tech and delivery. And in the case of tech, we've got the women's oriented one and also the CTO club for more senior mm. uh, tech leaders who maybe could be a bit lonely at the top. It's and, a cliche, but I think it could be true if you're the most senior techie that you haven't necessarily got peers in your own company to, to talk to. Why CTO? Because there's a lot of chat around, a few years ago, people talked about the death of the CIO. And yeah. now kind of alongside CTO, you've got CMO and CPO. Yeah. Was it just literally... We've got, to, we've got to pick one of the C-suite titles, let's go for that one. But It's pretty much because 80% um, of our business is tech. Right. And we do quite a bit of product and we do a lot of delivery, um, but 80% is tech. Mm. And so that just seemed to be an area where we'd have um, the most value to add. 
Um, and, the, and the reason for doing them actually is, um, obviously it's good brand awareness for us. There's of course. no secret, obviously, of course, it's great when, when people associate us with something hopefully that's good. Um, but fundamentally, it's just to give knowledge back to the community. Mm. Um, kind of investing in people to run these groups and um, it's not easy to run them necessarily. It's not easy to, to get speakers and venues and, and feel the feel the events and also the club's kind of idea where we need um, communication and contact with people before and after. It's, it all takes time and I was just keen to contribute to the community, not just tag along to other people's events, but contribute ourselves. Yeah. Now you've mentioned there that you've invested in people to run them. Yeah. Do you have dedicated staff running those clubs and those events? We do now, or, yeah. Right, okay. So it's, it's not an add-on to someone's job, hey, you have responsibility for this. It was. Right. That's how it started. In fact, it started as an internal club where we would just get our tickets together to talk about interesting stuff. Right. And then it got really interesting, so we thought, well, why would we limit it only to our own people? Maybe other people can come along. So, um, so yeah, then it was just off the side of the desk. Some One of our directors would do it. And each of our directors has a club that they run. Um, that's off the side of their desk, but mm -hmm. we, we also have a head of community and we have someone working on content now to make sure that there's um, write-ups and, and that people stay in touch afterwards. So, yeah, now we are starting to invest in them. That must be interesting, having run a tech business that was kind of... It's so outside of uh, the core skill sets of probably most people in the organization that it must be quite yep. fun and challenging having people with fun, that yeah. kind of skill set in who you're maybe not as used to managing. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I think that's the other reason we do it, to be honest, mm -hmm. is simply that it's fun. Yeah. Um, whenever we do an event, uh, we get people together, we have a little food competition, have some drinks together, network, as well as interesting talks or comparing notes on problems. And afterwards, we're always buzzing. Yeah, yeah. And, and we always want to do another one and, and try and get more people involved. So I think part of it is that we have a difficult job at delivering software projects and yeah. building teams and stuff like that. And actually, a very fun part of our job is, is the community side. Now, looking to the future, obviously, it's, it's nearly the end of 2018. 2019 is looming large. You mentioned there about you've gone into Amsterdam with a couple of clients almost in a partnership. You're looking at Germany. What's, first of all, what's happening, do you think, uh, in the year ahead for 101? Yeah. And also, from an industry point of view, what, what do you expect you might see uh, if you were to look into the crystal ball for the industry as a whole? And I appreciate that's difficult because... I was reading the Wired annual for last year, and you could have just stuck this year's yeah. uh, number on it, and it would have been exactly, it probably would have passed the must, some mustard test. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't see it moving away from the, the hot topics as they are now. I think, um, from obviously, AI and machine learning and stuff like that's getting mm -hmm. loads and loads of attention, but we don't see that actively used very much in our clients. We see it used a bit. Um, but that, that still is, is yet to reach the sort of mainstream of every corporation wanting to That's actually do something with it. Let, let me just throw one stat at you and just get an initial reaction to it. I, I saw a stat, over 2,000 people took part in, in a survey that said that four out of 10 organizations are making a saving money using AI. And I felt that sounded high. Yeah, it sounds very high to me. <laughs> uh, that's not in line with my experience of it with our clients. So I think um, we have done some interesting things with uh, machine learning. Um, Perhaps depends how they define AI, maybe right. that's part of it. Um, we've done some interesting things with machine learning. We see some clients doing some interesting things, but it's very, very tiny um, and not in all of the organizations. So mm. uh, four out of 10 may have done something with it, but 
I think your point on how they define <laughs> is an interesting one. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know, some, some things are obviously uh, more uh, intelligent levels in terms of AI, and, and some things are more like basic data. Um, but what we do see is hot is data in general. Mm. Um, so people want to make better use of their data. I guess for many years we had these kind of big data projects and often I saw companies building big data warehouses that then didn't get properly used. I didn't really know what to do with the data or couldn't really process it all. I think now really with cloud we have the capability to process all that data. Right. And now we actually can do useful things with it and, and therefore most companies are investing heavily in data still. Um, data analytics and, and off the back of that maybe there's little bits of machine learning that can be applied. Um, so I think that's going to be a continuing massive theme without doubt. And then in terms of um, application development, I think we see Node and React still as uh, the biggest thing that, that most people are asking for. Um, there's still quite a lot of Java, still some .NET, but Node and React is um, top of everyone's radar, I think. With regards to data, do, do most organizations, and I, look, I have to confess, I don't know what the makeup of your client base is, but say it was an enterprise client. Are most enterprise clients in a place to actually make meaningful use of that data, or are, they, are many still on that path where kind of data remediation and working through technical debt is the first issue? Yeah, it's mixed, definitely. I think some are really embryonic, mm. just creating a good data capability now, and they're still in that old sort of BI warehouse yeah. world of, of the past. Um, I don't think many have, maybe that's the legacy, I don't think many have um, like big legacy data platforms because I think so many companies are still only just really doing it. Yeah. Um, as I said, my observation of, of a lot of companies in the past is they built these big data warehouses and then couldn't find a use for them um, because there was this kind of feeling that if we have the data, we'll find things that we can do with it or you know, build it and they will come kind of mentality. Yeah. Um, which with data, I typically saw that we built it and they didn't come. And so I think maybe the legacy then is to build this big data warehouse and, and what we want to do with data nowadays is quite different mm. um, because we want to apply um, different techniques to the data, like we mentioned machine learning, but also now it's not just insight and analytics, we want to figure out how we can use that data to make our products better. Yeah. So driving personalization of, of the product for the end user and things like this, not just uh, for an analytics person to, to gather insight from. So then the kind of tools you need for that data are different because it needs a real-time response for an mm -hmm. user rather than um, being a big reporting system for, for analysts. Look, so, so I guess it's, it's, it's changing. You know, it's it's going to be a hot topic for a few more years, I think. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah. Look, I really appreciate you giving up some time and, and sharing some thoughts. And it's, it's really great to see a business that we were speaking to a year and a half ago going so well. So Thank you. good luck for the year ahead. Thanks. So, love Kelly. He's, like I've said about a hundred times now, friend of the show. <laughs> friend of the show. Friend of the show. We don't have many friends. No, we do. We have lots of friends. <laughs> um, but I just want to talk about immediately the fact that his business is essentially closing over Christmas. Uh, businesses take note. Everyone should stop work on the 21st of December this year and not come back till the 3rd of January. If I was Prime Minister, that would be instated immediately. I completely agree. The fact we work Christmas Eve, which is a Monday, oh. it's just insanely depressing. Oh, I mean, I'm, a lot of people, myself included, are working from home in massive inverted commas. So <laughs> let's hope that goes well. So yeah, Kelly closed over Christmas, but I wanted to start by talking about his move to Amsterdam, and I'm immediately going to call Dave out because 
Amsterdam ha is famous, and it must be relatively famous if even I've heard of it, for its silicon canals. So we have the silicon roundabout, Silicon Valley in San Fran, and, and Amsterdam is famous for silicon canals. I don't know. I've, I've never heard of that. And, oh. and in all fairness, you did go about two weekends ago. Uh, yeah, that's like that's Amsterdam, the truth. So. Wasn't necessarily going for the tech scene. No, uh, but <laughs> no. it may mean you've seen more than we have. There's a, th there is a bit of a story behind this. I did I did a piece of work a couple of years ago uh, for a company, and they wanted to relocate to Amsterdam. So part of that work was me digging up information on Amsterdam, at which point I found that they've got a very rich culture for incubators, the Silicon Canals initiatives. And as Kelly goes on to say, you know, it is full of tech-minded people that can speak three or four languages. Yeah, I mean, I will say, like, I did know it was more invested in tech than, than maybe Dave sort of gave the impression he did. Um, but that's just because I've gotten a lot of friends that went to university there. Oh, they wow. studied physics, math, science. You know, they all did yeah. STEM subjects. So I kind of figured if they've got that kind of schooling and universities there it must be a sort of key focus we hear all, all the time the importance of stem in uh, getting jobs in tech uh, I'm, I'm now calling it steam because i believe that arts should be included in that best of luck with their move to amsterdam and and following up next year with, with the move to germany as well which is again another european country that puts us to shame because their multilingualness and, um, and and their booming tech scene i mean berlin is, is is as cool a place as any to go i've heard i've never actually been uh, you've been to did, cool. did you go to that CD nightclub that's open like all weekend no, and there's all kind no, of lewd activity? I well, think I, if I did, I wouldn't really say I did on the show either. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, we've, we've all uh, laid some bare truths on this show before. But um, yeah, um, I, I really liked what Kelly talked about around events. Yeah, definitely. No, I agree. I think uh, the sort of stress they put on community is absolutely brilliant because mm. I think what gets lost from these events is that people try and turn them into kind of purely sales activity. And when that sort of happens, you lose the whole value of it. And I actually think people stop being interested because they kind of just see themselves as being used a little bit, you know? Yeah, it does. That, stuff like that does always mess with the, the integrity of a community event like this. I mean, we, we go to many, many recruitment events, and I'm not for one second saying Harvey Nash are like this, but we go to many, many events, and it's almost like a panel will have a really rich, in-depth discussion, and then they'll come out to the floor afterwards, and then they're swamped by vultures. And their lasting memory of that event will be that there was 10 people there trying to pitch something or trying to sell something to them, which isn't a good thing. And I think Kelly sort of says how important it is to have this sort of closeness um, and co connectivity with your peers. And that's, that's why their events have sort of been so successful. Yeah, and I, I do like the fact that Kelly obviously mentioned, you know, for them, it's all good fun. Yeah. That, I think that is great. I mean, it shouldn't be a stressful experience. It should be fun. It mm. should be insightful. Mm. It should be interesting. It shouldn't be, you know, a sales activity or, or something sort of very ingenuine where you have to push things out all the time and there's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. It should be something you're genuinely interested in. Absolutely. I mean, I can only speak from the show's point of view, but we see the value of events. Going to events, hosting our own events. I mean, Kelly's events sound relatively relaxed and stress-free, whereas I'm sure if you rock up at White City on the 31st of January to the Tech Talks Live event, me, me Dave and Ryder running around like headless chickens. Um, but yeah, I mean... We, we, we go to events, I, I blog events regularly, and I think they're an amazing opportunity to, to, to see other values within the community that, that you wouldn't necessarily have the access to. And I think that kind of ethos, um, I did pick up a lot from Kelly throughout the interview. Mm. You know, the fact that he was constantly playing on the fact that, you know, for them, brand, ethos, mm. message, community is, is so key. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Um, 
the brand, Kelly Stutz says at the top of the interview, you know, the brand was just him for about three years. Yeah. And then uh, he's sort of grown his, and I'm uh, Kelly won't like me saying this, but he's grown his almost senior management team because he, you know, it's unhierarchical where they are. It's very much a bit more fluid. But once those sort of senior stakeholders are on board with with the with the culture and values and the brand made it easier to drive that out to the rest of the, the rest of the business and you know five years on 101 101 ways are, are thriving now you know expanding into into europe um, hopefully they're they're brexit proof <laughs> i think moving into europe does kind of help that actually i mean i'm no brexit expert but i'm sure if you've got especially if you're in germany i'm sure you'll be all right well if you're more spread out then you're going to sort of reduce risk, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And as we all know, Germany is the Washington DC of the United States of Europe. <laughs> We're not afraid to say it, folks. But we, uh, we both voted to remain. So let's not get too far into that. And really interesting points on 2019 as well, and what, what Kelly believes to be coming up. Because as Dave has said, he read the last year's Wired magazine on what's happening in 2018. And it was very much the same as what's happening in 2017. You know, AI, machine learning, yada, yada, yada. And if you go to an event of Kelly's or an event of ours or any event around the city that's on AI and machine learning, someone there will say, no one's doing it properly. No, no one's utilizing AI properly. Um, four out of 10, I think our tech survey said that people are making money from AI. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because I've, I mean, as long as I've worked in technology sort of market and industry and had knowledge of it, there's always something that people are talking about and mm. someone always stands up and goes, no one else is talking about it. Right. right? So it, it was digital transformation like three years ago mm. and everyone was like, oh, I'm doing a digital transformation. <laughs> and then they'd be like, well, what do you mean? Like, uh, I've got a Twitter that? page, that's digital yeah, transformation. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there was all this kind of hype about it and so everyone jumped on board and now finally companies are actually mm. sitting there and going, mm. right, well, actually, I know what I'm doing now. Yeah. I think we had M&S on a panel the other yep, day. Yep, they yep. were talking about their digital transformation and their, their roadmap and their program mm. and people are finally getting their heads around it. And I yeah. kind of feel like AI is kind of like in that stage at the moment yeah. where, you know, what is AI? Four out of 10 people are using it to make money. Well, Kelly disagreed with that. Yeah. And, and to be honest, from my experience, I don't really think people know what they're talking about in some ways. I do think people, I mean, I, I'm no tech expert as, as our listeners will know, but um, people do get AI and machine learning mixed up a lot of the time, mm. right? So, you know, you've got weak AI in your iPhones, but it's more about machine learning and stuff, right? So I think... People are using it, but they're not using it to its true and full potential. Um, uh, and AI is, you know, there's all kinds of... I wrote an article yesterday about um, how uh, robots are taking away our jobs, um, which you will find on my LinkedIn. Um, but it, it's funny how people whip into a frenzy around AI, whether it be we, we want to use it, we want to buy it, we're going to use it. Or the, you know, the total polar opposite of that is like, let's stay away from AI because robots are going to cause a robo-apocalypse and Will Smith will have to come and save us all from crazy weird robots and for me AI is you know it sits in the middle of that obviously not too far as the extremes but until we start seeing AI being utilised fully I think that machine learning is is what we should be calling it no? and I also think that you know, agreeing with the point that you know myself and Zach are trying to make around data mm. what Kelly said you know data two years ago everyone again was jumping on this bandwagon and creating data warehouses mm -hmm. and doing all these things and hiring contractors on ridiculous money because they had big data yeah. and not really anything to do for them to do in yeah. the job 
Um, but now, with the development of cloud and changes and investment, people are actually managing to use that data and, and you know change it into something valuable. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's maybe the path along with AI. Maybe in two, three years, we'll understand more about it and, and we'll know what to do with it. But at the moment, Absolutely. like you say, it's just getting kind of lost in, in the whole sort of tech sector. It's easy for someone to say, oh, let's do AI because so-and-so are doing AI. Mm. Well, that's not really good enough reason for me. Uh, cool. I mean, I, I just wanted to, to end that, that interview point on uh, Node and React, still uh, the biggest slash top of the radar for dev next year. Mm -hmm. If you know what that means, please tell me because, <laughs> you know, I know what Java is just about because I have to install the update every six months. But <laughs> good to hear that Node and React is still top, top, hot topics. So, yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, thanks, Kelly, for coming on the show again. Uh, I'm sure we'll see you again soon. Um, really, really insightful interviews and do go out there. And go to Kelly's uh, or one, uh, 101 Ways WTF events, the Women Tech Focus events. Uh, keep an eye on his LinkedIn. Oh, before we go, actually, the CTO event. I think they should call it Lonely at the Top. I think that's quite a good name <laughs> for a CTO did, event. It did make me laugh when I was listening and they said WTF. Yeah. Women in Tech. Now time for a short message from our partners. As our listeners are aware, we have a wonderful deal for them via audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, a free month's trial. And Christmas is coming up, isn't it, Jack? It very much is. It's, it's so close now. People have got their Christmas trees up, shops have got their decorations out. It's, we're in the final rungs of the lead up to Christmas now. Michael Bublé is around every corner. Exactly. Now, if you go onto Audible, mm. what would you buy for your Christmas stocking filler? Do you know what? It's a little bit different, it's a little bit out there, but fans of the BBC programme People Just Do Nothing will know that the character, Chapadi G, has put out a comedy book, um, How To Be A Man, and it all pokes fun at his character and so on and so forth. And if you get the audio version, it's him narrating it as well. I'm sure it's delightful, it's not very festive. Not very festive, but I guarantee you it's hilarious. Good, well, for balance, you could also, of course, go on and download The Snowman and the Snow Dog. Yeah, or Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Absolutely. Yeah. So, audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks. Why don't you find yourself a little treat for the festive season? Have a book on us. Welcome to the news. Uh, first time ever I have been entrusted to find some news articles, Josie, uh, mainly because David's not here. Well, there are interesting articles, Jack, so you did okay. I did all right. I did all right. So let's start with the, the proper news, and that is that London and Edinburgh to trial self-driving cars. So people in London and Edinburgh will soon be the first UK to experience self-driving services as part of three new public trials announced by Business Energy Secretary Greg Clark on a visit to Oxbotica. So the projects will allow public to ride autonomous buses on a 14-mile route across the fourth bridge as well as booking self-driving taxis around parts of London. So I think when I, when I read this first, it sounded like you could get to London and to Edinburgh in a self-driving car, but it's actually small pockets of London and Edinburgh using self-driving cars. Now, self-driving cars, more dangerous than those dickheads going around on scooters or not? From someone that actually drives in London, I cannot stress enough how dangerous those dickheads on scooters are. Hey! Like, I, honestly, I drive a little Fiat 500 mm. and they get so close to my car, 
that I honestly the amount of them I've nearly hit and it's never been my fault and they they bomb so fast down a cycle lane and then they weave out the cycle lane out into traffic onto the path <sighs> and they're always learners yeah that's what gets me it's like you should not be able to be any kind of learner driver in London because it's stressful enough as it is that's a good point I mean, you should at least have to have partial tests yeah. to drive in London because it's yeah. too busy yeah. and there's too many people it's too much risk it shouldn't be allowed we're telling it to you, listeners. We're, we're giving you the opinions. <laughs> this is something matter. I feel very strongly about. And it's, I love how we've immediately digressed away from the article. Um, but look, we both hate scooters. Uh, anyway, so uh, the projects were selected following a competitive process. Uh, we'll share a £25 million government grant through the round of, and I want to say this for the round of Connected and Autonomous Vehicles Intelligent Mobility Fund. So they've thought of a nice catchy name for that. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover Addison Lee Fusion Process in Oxbottica and the universities of Nottingham and West of England have all come together to create the technology business and, and shit like that so you know what if Jaguar are involved I'm kind of there's, a, there's an element of trust I think when you're British and with Jaguar because you know it's the car of James Bond um, yeah. I love how you trust uh, a car make rather than the sort of government led initiative absolutely don't trust that <laughs> Dave Dave will not like us getting political because we try no, and stay know, in the middle I know but it's just funny but <clears throat> yeah sorry um, no it's a bit flowery yeah. right um, you know we want to have self-driving vehicles on the road by 2021 mm. the future of mobility minister which just sounds like a made up <laughs> to be honest wow yeah uh, the future of mobility minister okay, that's not real that sounds uh, like a sick job and then it's, you know, it's, it's going to be worth up to 52 billion by 2035 it's like great but how <sighs> Where are you, you know? plucking that from, mate? I yeah. mean, yeah, Jesse Norman, you've just made up your job title and you've made up fifty-two billion pounds <laughs> as well. I mean, respect where it's where it's deserved. Um, I mean, look, we've spoke about autonomous vehicles in the past, and I think we're very much for it. Uh, the problem is regulation, um, and in the UK, our government is incredibly slow at updating, you know, digital stuff, um, regulation, and things like that. But I don't, it's not just the UK. Regulation's slow across the world which is why we need a user at the seat regulation they can say about autonomous vehicles and, and so on and so forth. But, you know, we've had instances the last two years where I think two, three people have died in mm. electric cars. Well, what I just think is interesting about these two specific locations, London and Edinburgh, mm. I mean, I've been to Edinburgh, it mm. is packed. Mm. London is packed. Why are they trialling <laughs> a dangerous self-driving car yeah idea in these two places why not do it in somewhere much quieter where if something goes wrong not as many people are going to get hurt or you know it's just safer i don't understand why they've picked the two busiest cities yeah it will be popular here but it doesn't mean you have to try it here sorry joseph i'm just struggling because it's probably the first time in a long time someone's made a logical point that's that's not somewhere interviewed i mean how uh, that's a bang on why are we doing this in congested cities edinburgh has a tram running through the middle of it like imagine if you just go slightly off kilter i mean look with tech for the love of good we believe that this technology will work but it will fail at some point something will go wrong you know it's murphy's law it's sod's law um well yeah wh why aren't they doing it around you know the essex countryside or uh, Let's trial it on quieter roads. Doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. No, I agree. It doesn't make too much sense. But look, I think I'm... I mean, I watched Logan, the film. You've seen Logan? I have seen Logan. Right, so there's, they use... Because uh, it's set slightly in the future, there's, there's lorries, self-driving lorries in Logan. And then all the horses come out and 
Charles Xavier's last act and spoiler alert before he dies is he does his last ever mind control on the horses and gets them back in and it was the fault of the blooming robot driven lorries while the horses spilled out I mean such a small part of Logan of the film like the film is sick and it's about so much more than that but anyway I digress I agree I think self-driving cars would be great but don't think this is the best way to go about testing. Right, and uh, so one more news article. Uh, I don't want to get too much in it. This last year, Joe, I've, I've seemed to fall heavily in love with Australia as, as a country. Uh, I've never been. Rosie went earlier in the year. Um, my best, One of my best friends is living out there at the moment, Toby. Shout out to Tobes if you're listening. Um, brought up on ACDC. I've been listening to a lot of Australian musicians this year. Alex Cameron, for one. Uh, Auntie Donna, Shooter Williamson, Michelle Brazier, all fantastic comedy groups comedians from australia now australia has one disgustingly vehemently knobheadish export called milo milo Yiannopoulos. we know who milo Yiannopoulos is the old uh, bright bar or should we say bright fart uh columnist sorry sorry for the uh, bad joke but he has been banned from patreon yeah patreon uh, i don't know if you choose patreon no, I don't. I had heard of them. Though. Yeah, so I use Patreon. Uh, two of my favourite podcasts, the Auntie Donna podcast, which I just meant and, uh, mentioned, and Jake and Amir podcast, they're both on Patreon. And it's it's a really good way to get closer to the artists you like, assuming they're on there. They, they give you personal messages, rewards, uh, exclusive shows, and things like that. So I'm not going to go into the article, but Milo Yiannopoulos would have been using his Patreon to spread disgusting, far-right hate messages. And to you know, fund different groups. And um, I think we saw earlier in the year Infowars get taken off of Twitter and YouTube. Now, Infowars, for me, is a bit different because that bloke on Infowars, Alex, whatever his name is, is hilarious. Like, for all intents and purposes, this bloke is hilarious. Disgustingly horrible, but an absolute joke of a man to watch. Whereas Milo Yiannopoulos is really smart. And he's really nasty. And I just think I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for free speech, you know, we, as we all are. Um, but for, for a platform, for a technology platform such as Patreon to take a step like this, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I think the overall sort of point of this is the fact that technology companies and, you know, companies where they do give people free speech and they do mm. give people, you know, the right to spread a message and, you know, be involved in things. Yeah. I, th- I think there should be a limit to that. Yeah. And, you know, you can't go on Twitter and just start spouting whatever you want because your tweets will get banned. You know, yeah. there has to be a limit to, to what you can do. And I think the fact these massive sites and even sort of PayPal has shown in the last yeah. year as well, that they're getting involved in it and saying, no, you can't use our site for that. Yeah. Um, and I think that is, I mean, it even links with Kelly was saying about brands and exactly. ethos, you yeah. know, every company has a brand and yeah. they don't want it being dragged through the mud by someone saying the wrong things. I mean, imagine, yeah, that's, that's so bang on. Imagine being six months down the line and one of uh, Milo Yiannopoulos' groups on Twitter, so on, on Patreon, so you get different levels of membership and imagine uh, Yiannopoulos' uh, trigger squad. Uh, goes out and attacks uh, March or something like that and it links back to Patreon it's, it's terrible for the brand image we do need to be careful with restricting things like like this I mean I'm I'm so against him um, but there is always an argument there with free speech and things like that you know if the if the far right are being punished so should the far left um, but look I think this is a good step like say for brand as well Patreon and things like that but also just for the tech industry, you know, people, like we were saying earlier, people scaremonger about mm. the use of technology. And I think 
you know, companies staying true to their values is, is what is key about, about these sort of organisations. That was Tech Talks with Jack and Josie. Um, we've got Thursday show, then we've got Monday, Thursday, so you've got three more shows with us. Dave and I will be recording a special Christmas podcast when he's back. Until then, have a lovely Monday evening, Tuesday morning, whenever you listen to it. Yes, have a lovely evening. Cheerio. See you soon.